We're going to continue with our sermon series, a series of sermons called The Fight for the Family. The prophetic word for Soma Church for 2020 is eyes wide open. And this last portion of the year, we're asking the Lord to open our eyes to the fight for the family. How many of you know that the enemy is after the family? I mean, it seems like every day, I could tell you something every day this past week that I was like, whoa, there's a fight. Whoa, there it is again. Whoa, there's the enemy's approach. Well, and sometimes it's in the most unlikely places and there he sneaks in and it's just crazy. So we are asking the Lord to open our eyes even more than it already is to the fight for the family. Last week, Melissa spoke specifically to the women, not necessarily as wives and moms yet. I know she's going to next week, but just, just as, as women, she spoke to the women. She had a sermon called image to dust. If you were not here, whether you're a man or a woman, please go back and listen. It was fantastic. Two weeks ago, I spoke to men, just to men, not as husbands, not as fathers, just to men. The sermon was called enough is enough. But it's time for men to say enough is enough. I'm going for God. And tonight I want to talk to men again And I want to encourage you and challenge you in the realm of husbands and fathers, okay? But I'm not going to give you a bunch of methods. I'm not going to give you a bunch of how-tos, how to be a good husband, 10 steps to being a good father. I'm not going to do that. For one, I don't have time in this sermon to give you all the methods that it would take to make you a, a better family man, okay? You can go to Amazon. You can order all the books that you're credit card will allow you on the subject. You can go to YouTube. There's probably a million videos that will give you more or better methods to being a family man. And we should, by the way, you should always be trying to research more, read more and learn more to become the best or whatever it is you're trying to be, right? Isn't that true? But what do we know? We know that the method is only as good as our motive. Isn't that right? Any subject, any pursuit, our methods are only as good as our motives. If we don't understand why we should do the how, the how won't last. Men, we've all seen this. We've, we've done everything we can to find all the how-tos. We've read how-tos. We've heard about the how-tos, and we try the how-tos, and, and we did good for a few days or maybe a few weeks. And if you're really good, if you're really just that, oh, man's man, maybe you made it a couple of months. But at some point, we go back to our old ways, our old habits. The how didn't last. And the only reason that it didn't for the most part, is because we, we probably didn't really have a solid why. Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to change that? So what I want to do really quick is I want to give you the why to rule all other whys. Okay? And that's this. Because you, men, are called to lead your family with love 
towards the Lord. That's my whole sermon in one sentence tonight. Men, you are called to lead your family with love towards the Lord. And the title for the sermon tonight is just Lead with Love. Lead with love. And you know, along the way, you might even find that your brain is going, is going to begin um, finding a new definition of love. I'm not necessarily going to give you a de- new definition of love, but your brain might start putting one together. And that would be okay. Okay. What I want to start with is this. I want to, t- I want to break this sermon in a sentence down really quick with some simple definitions, okay? And and these are just my definitions. This is what I mean when I say men are called to lead their family with love towards the Lord. When I say the Lord, I mean, listen, I mean God and his good and perfect will. That's what I mean when I say the Lord, not just the Lord, I mean the Lord, God, and his good and perfect will. You could read that sermon in a sentence like this. Men are called to lead their family with love towards God's good and perfect will. Okay, when I say love, a great, just simple definition is selfless giving. That's love, to give selflessly, like, like God, right? He gave us his son. He gave us his precious promises. Love. So you can read it this way. Men are called to lay down their own life in order to lead their families towards God's good and perfect will. When I say family, you see family up there. Really what I mean is whoever it is you are responsible for. Okay, you may be here and you're a single man and you are only responsible for yourself. Guess what? You are a family unit. One day the Lord might add to your family, but right now you are a family unit. Or you might be single and you have some roommates. Well, guess what? You are responsible one for another. Or maybe you got a pet. You, your roommates, and your hamster. Okay, whatever it is, okay, but you might be married. You might be here, and your family right now is you and your wife. I would say a lot of people in this house have children, so it's you, your wife, and your children, okay? So you can read it this way. Men are called to lay down their own lives in order to lead the people in their lives towards God's good and perfect will. Are you with me tonight? Let me go ahead and define one more, and that's the word lead. And I'm going to take this definition of lead from one of my favorite places in Scripture. And this is when God is leading the people of Israel through the desert. And if you remember the story, it says he led them cloud by day, fire by night. It says the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them, lead them on the way. And in a pillar, a pillar, a pillar. That's what I call the thing I lay my head down in. I got to find my pillar. Anyway, um, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel day and night. When it says that the Lord led them on the way, that word lead, it just means this. To govern and to guide. That's what it means. That's what lead means. And you can apply that to anything. If you think you're a leader, what are you meant to do? You're meant to govern and you're meant to guide. The people of God in this Exodus story were headed toward his good and perfect will, a land that that he had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that he had promised, right? But it was hot during the daytime. And they needed 
shade. It was dark in the nighttime and probably pretty scary. Think about it. Think about the things that lurk in the desert at night. Step on a rattlesnake or a scorpion or a crazy person. You never know what you might step on in the middle of the desert. It's hot out there. People worn down, crazy. But what did they need? They needed light. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. The king of glory, Jesus himself, selflessly stood up from his throne and led them. That cloud was Jesus. That pillar of fire was Jesus. Go study that out on your own. He gave them shade. He gave them light. He gave them direction. He gave them protection. And not just from the elements, not just from the, the sun and the wind. And the, he gave them protection from their enemies. Israel, as small as they were, as, as insignificant as they were, they won battle after battle after battle after battle because they were led really, really well. Amen. Amen. Men are called to lead really well. Men are called to lead their families with love toward the Lord. That word toward is important. Toward the Lord. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to tell you that Melissa and I became youth pastors when we were 25 years old. Okay? I became a youth pastor. Tony Hearing, when he was, when I was, he's talking in second person. That's weird. <laughs> when I was 25 years old, listen, I didn't know a thing. I was clueless. I was a musician. I was a worship leader turned youth pastor. I am now responsible to preach the word of God, to make disciples out of teenagers and all kinds of other things. Other thing. Melissa and I, are, we got to plan camps and retreats. And I mean, there were so many things I'd never done before. Never preached the word. I barely ever read the Bible, to be honest with you. Now I get paid to preach it. And I was clueless and I felt it and I knew it. But very early on, I came across a passage of scripture, a, a text in the Bible, and specifically a prayer that I personally began to pray, and I still pray to this day. And I want to show you, it's out of 1 Kings chapter 3. King David has passed on, but before he did, he passed his throne to Solomon. It says, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, starting in verse uh, 4, I suppose. The king went to Gibeon, King Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and said, ask me what you wish and I will give it to you. Hey. That's like a genie in a bottle, right? Ask me whatever you want, whatever you want, I will give it to you. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant, David, my father, according 
as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and upright of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you were, you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day, talking about himself. Look at verse seven. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant. Here's what I want. You ask me, what do you want? You'll give it to me. Here's what I would like to have bestowed upon me, O Lord. An understanding heart to govern your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10, it says that this was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked for both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. I remember reading that and I thought, that's me. I'm like Solomon. I'm just a kid. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And I really don't want to mess this up. And a prayer came out of my mouth that I still pray to this day. And many of you have heard me pray this, especially if you're here and you're in leadership. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment that I may govern this great people. I've been praying it for over 20 years. Wisdom and discernment that I may govern this great people. This has been my prayer for everyone I lead, not just the church, but if I leave it in, in outside of the church, in other realms, and especially for my family. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment that I may govern this great people. Notice in verse 10 that it says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Let me ask you, what pleased the Lord? What was it that pleased the Lord? I want to tell you plainly. It was Solomon's motives. It was his motive. Solomon said, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon's heart was wrapped around two things. The people are great and they belong to God. That was what was on his mind. That was what was before him. That's what his heart, mind was wrapped around. The people are great and they belong to God, not me. Solomon didn't make it about himself. 
God said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked. Solomon, here's what you didn't ask for. You didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for victory. Solomon didn't ask to be the best provider. Solomon didn't ask to win every battle. He didn't ask God to spare him the, you know, the Dunlap disease. You guys know what Dunlap disease is? When your belly done lapped over your belt? Right? And then he said, you didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for a Fitbit and to be fit forever. You didn't ask for any of that. <laughs> Listen, men, I think we ask the wrong questions. We're asking the wrong questions. We're looking for more and more how-tos because we want to be greater. But that's the wrong motive. It's the wrong motive. Men are called to lead their family with love towards the Lord. When we make our leadership about them, about our wives, about our children, if you're single, about your dog or your roommate, or just pleasing the Lord. Listen, the whole family wins when you make it about them. God was so impressed with Solomon's request. He said, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there will be no one like you ever. And I have also given you what you have not asked for. Six pack. money in the bank and you are going to be slamming at Krav Maga. <laughs> Every victory is yours. Listen to me. And, and, and when I wrote this today, I really felt like it was prophetic for someone, either someone tonight or someone tomorrow morning. So I'm going to read it just like it came out and just like I prophetically felt like it was coming. Are you ready? And this may be for a woman here too, but most likely it's for someone that is a man. What if the Lord has every intention of providing and protecting your family in a powerful way, but he's waiting on you, family man, to purify your motives and begin asking the right questions? That's for someone. Maybe all of us men. What if he has every intention of providing for you and protecting protecting you and your family in a powerful way. He's just waiting on you to get your motives right. So I have three questions for every family man. Three questions. There's always more. Preachers are limited with time. <laughs> Number one, do you see your family as great? Do you see your family as great. Like when you think of your wife, if you're married, when you think of your wife, do you think she's great? <laughs> well, sure I do. She's a great food cooker and housekeeper and bill payer and taxi driver and school teacher and lawnmower and back rubber. And she's a darn good lover. <laughs> well, first of all, that's way too much information. T M I. But second of all, those things are about you. Those things are about you. 
What about her? You do realize that your wife belongs to God and she's called according to his purposes, right? Romans 8, 28, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. There are gifts that God has given her and purposes God has for her that have nothing to do with you or your kids. Great things for his kingdom. Amen. But listen, men, husbands, and if you're single here, take notes. Start asking yourself this question. Do you know what those things are? Men, do you, do you know what those gifts are, those purposes are? Do you know? Do you encourage her toward those? Do you champion her? Do you cheer her on in those things? Do you praise her when she goes for it? When she knocks it out of the park? Do you praise her and say, baby, you're the bomb? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says that she is God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for her in advance to do. That's Ephesians 2, Paul. Some of those good works are for you and for your home as a wife and as a mother, but many of those, if not most of those, aren't for you at all. They're for his kingdom. They're meant to be taking part elsewhere, outside of the home, which tells you how many good works he must have created for her to begin with because there's a lot of work to do at home. Amen? Amen? What about your kids? What about your kids? Do you see your kids as great? When you look at your kids, do you think these, these are great kids? These are great kids. Do you see them as God's handiwork created to do great things for his kingdom? Do you look at your kids and recognize that God has a call on their life? Do you realize your kids' potential? Solomon understood that God had a plan for Israel. Right? I mean, he knows. He'd been around. He's, he's an adult by the time he's king. He knew that Israel had a calling upon their light, right? To be a light to all the other nations. And how he sat on his throne. Listen to me, church. How he sat on his throne was either going to help them or it was going to hold them back. For who is able, he says, for who is able to govern this great people? As a family man, again, I'm talking to men tonight. As the leader of your home, our role in these relationships is to see our wives and our kids as great and to help them reach their potential. Can I get an amen, men? That was weird. An amen, men. To encourage them, to equip them, to empower them to pursue God's highest plan in their lives. Now listen, to do that, we have to have more than just a relationship. And that leads me to my second question. Do you have fellowship with your family? <laughs> Do you have fellowship with your family? Listen, there is a big difference between relationship and fellowship. I don't know if you've ever 
thought about that. Relationship is about position. Fellowship is about connection. See the difference? Big difference. Solomon's position was he was king. And as king, he could relate to the people however he wanted to. He could relate to them in a good way. He could relate to them, to, to them in a bad way. It was his choice to lead the people selfishly or selflessly. God said to him, you have not asked for yourself long life, riches, victories. Right? Again, Solomon could have asked for things to make him great as a king so that all the people would relate to him with respect or even fear. We know that there's a lot of people in power that they just demand and respect and fear and submission, but that's not what was on his heart. That's not what he was after. He said, give your servant an understanding heart to govern this great people. I want to tell you what that word understanding means. It's up on the screen. It means to hear with attention or interest. It means to listen. That's what it means. Solomon wanted a hearing heart. He wanted a heart that was tuned in to God and to the people. It's like Solomon was praying Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, over his leadership. I pray that the eyes of my heart would be opened. That my eyes would be wide open to the needs of the people around me. <laughs> and what's the very next thing that we read? We don't have time to read it, but on your own, go to this next section and you'll read basically one of his first um, acts of governing or judging, ruling. These two prostitutes come to Solomon. And they lived together in the same house and both of them had babies, but one of their babies died in the middle of the night. And so in the middle of the night, she goes and she switches her dead baby for the other woman's live baby. And the next morning, the other mother's like, what? My child's dead, but recognize that ain't my child. And so they took this case to the king. And if you've ever read the story you know that they're bickering back and forth. She's mine. He's mine. This is my baby. No, it's my baby. My baby. My baby. And all of a sudden Solomon says, you know what? And he's real kind if you read it. Just real attentive. He says, I'll tell you what. Now this doesn't sound very nice, but he says, you know what? Let's cut the baby in two and give each of you part of the baby. Everybody goes home happy. And the one that had switched the baby was like, yeah, nobody gets the baby. But the mother who knew the baby was hers was like, just give the baby to her. Just give it to her. Just give it to her. And right then and there, Solomon was like, yeah, we know who the mom is. Get that lady out of her, out of here, you know. That was, listen, that was his very first Act. It's amazing. As king, though, listen, in his position, in his position, he could have had someone else deal with it. Right? Don't bring that to me. He could have, or, or he could have related to them from afar. They're all crazy. Kill them all. Kill the ladies, kill the babies, kill everybody. That's what he could have done. I mean, there are mad kings out there, right? 
Instead, what do we see? We took the, he took the time to hear with attention, to connect up close with these ladies. And in the end, it goes on and it says, when all Israel heard the king's decision, how he handled this precarious situation, the people were in awe of the king, which means they respected him. Some translations say they feared him, not in a kind of a way, but like that dude, something else. For they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Men, listen to me. We tend to lead from afar. And only from our relationship. This is my position in the home. I'm provider. I'm protector. I'm rule maker. I'm butt spanker. You know, whatever you... Like we do things we're supposed to do when it's time to do them, but we fall short of being the person we're supposed to be when our family needs us to be that person, that husband, that father. Here's an example of what I mean. <laughs> I think most men are like that. We only know how to engage our families as Mr. Incredible <laughs> to relate from another room. That's the most common way in the family as it relates to men. One regret I have as a husband and a father is the many times that I have been present in the relationship, but not present with the fellowship in the room, but not engaged. Unless I needed to somehow be Mr. Incredible. Men, if the only time we are engaged is when we are upholding our position then we only have a relationship with our family, not fellowship. And that has to change. That has to change. It may seem overwhelming to even think about it. It may seem impossible, but it's not. 
Make Solomon's prayer your prayer. Give your servant an understanding heart to govern, an understanding heart to govern your people, your family. Remember, understanding means to hear with attention or interest. It means to listen. We've got to learn how to connect. We've got to learn how to uh, ask questions. We've got to learn how to start giving heartfelt answers. Everyone picking up what I'm laying down? The third thing is this. Do you go out and come in for your family? Do you go out and come in for your family? Now, I realize I need to explain this, but, but look back at verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Now, I wished I had time to, to really develop this thought, this phrase here. I, I don't. There's some extra scriptures up there with references to that phrase. But I want to tell you, in short, it's a military term. It's a military term. To go out to war. To go out to battle. We understand that. We even say that in a way in our own vernacular. We go out to war. True or false, guys, we go out to war every day. Every day we wake up to a war. <laughs> Some of you may wake up to a war in your own house. You just woke up. Everybody hadn't even brushed their teeth yet and they're already killing each other. You wake up to a war. But certainly when we leave our house, and especially in the day and age that we're living in, every time we leave we, our house, we are going out to war. We know it. Are you praying? Are you prepared? Is your family prepared? How have you prepared them, men, for the war? Are you covering them in prayer? Are you fighting the spiritual battle? Like we talk about all the time there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, standing firm against the schemes of the devil. Are you fighting that? Now, I think a lot of men do in their own time, in their own way, cover their family in prayer and pray for our family. Because we kind of like the idea of that. I like a good fight. I know this ain't flesh and blood. I'd rather be punching somebody in the mouth. But I'll get in there and get a little spiritual warfare going. And so we might, as men, appreciate the act of spiritual warfare and engage in that battle. Go out. But you know what I have found that men struggle with? The coming in. Because the coming in is about worship. The coming in is about worship. They go out to war. And if they're coming in, they're coming in for one of a few different reasons. They're coming in because they've lost the battle and they need to seek the Lord as to why we lost. Or they're coming in because they won the battle. And they want to give God all the praise and all the glory for their victory. Or they're just in the middle of the battle and they need to come in 
to God's presence where we find times of refreshing. So I can go back out to war. Sometimes wars last a long time, don't they? And there's a repetitive going out and coming in and going out and coming in. And that describes the war that we are in. Men. The fight for our family. We might be hitting a B plus or an A, maybe even an A plus in the spiritual warfare fighting, going out. But by and large, listen to me. Men are somewhere between a zero and a 70 when it comes to worship. He said, I don't know how to come, uh, go out and come in like my father David. What do we know about David? David was a warrior. And he was a worshiper. Isn't that right? In fact, let me just say this. David was a powerful warrior because he was a passionate worshiper. It wasn't because he was bad to the bone. He was bad to the bone. But his bad to the bone came from a heart to passionately worship his Lord. Before he could ever sling a stone, he could sing a song. Amen, saints. And I am finding that men are leaving it up to their wives to come in to the presence of the Lord. They're depending upon their wives to be in the presence. All the while wondering why their war, maybe personally or maybe for the family, is being lost. Women, I appreciate your worship. Your worship is so great and you're so powerful. I appreciate it. And God is honoring you and he loves it. But he sure is ready for your man to come in with passionate worship. You know, it says that we are to lift holy hands. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 says, Therefore, I want men in every place, talking about places of worship, to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's what it says. Without wrath or dissension, without stuff on, without being, you know, all jacked up inside. Come before the Lord with a pure heart and worship him. Pray, lift your hands, lift holy hands to the Lord. You know, at the end of Moses' life, when he knew that his time was about up, he was looking for a successor. Successor, And he asked the Lord, Lord, look, somebody's got to take my place. Uh, here's what I need. I need somebody that knows how to go out and come in. That's what Moses says. And of course, we know his successor was Joshua. And think about the battles Well, Moses, well, he was just, no, he just walked with his sandals on the road. No, are you kidding me? Have you read the Bible? He went out to war. And here's what it says. As long as his arms were raised, the battle was won. But as soon as his arms went down, they started losing the battle. Aaron and her picked up on it. They're like, we're losing. We're winning. We're losing. We're winning. And her's like, uh, Aaron? Uh, I think I have an idea. And so they went and got a rock for Moses to sit on. And they held his hands up. And they won the victory. You wondering why you're not winning the victory, man? 
you're wondering why maybe you're not a powerful warrior, it might be because you're not a passionate worshiper. I want you to think about this. I was reading something by Jimmy Evans this past weekend. It was an email through his Marriage Today thing. And he was talking about physical intimacy in marriage, the needs of men, the needs of women in physical intimacy. And I won't tell you everything, but I want to tell you what the, uh, the two greatest needs for men are in physical intimacy with their wife. For their wife, from time to time, to initiate the physical intimacy. Just for, like every now and then, could you just want to? The second thing was when they do, for them to engage passionately. Not to just be there, but to be passionate about what's going on. Do you think Jesus wants anything less from his bride? Whether you're female or male, you think that Jesus don't, doesn't want you to initiate spiritual intimacy, a time alone with him, just you and him. And when you're there to engage passionately, of course he does. Of course he does. The whole thing, the relationship with him and the relationship with our spouse is a parallel design. Men, I'm telling you right now, don't expect anything from your wife that you are not willing to give the Lord. Please understand my heart there. Learn to become a passionate worshiper. I understand that you may feel a little insecure. I think overall men, worship has somehow become feminized. Like, well, if you worship that way, then there's something wrong with you. Are you kidding me? Have you read the Bible? Some of the baddest to the bone men were running around naked to express their love for Jesus. I don't suggest that in this house. But if you want to at least practice that in your own just to get warmed up, that's fine. Oh my goodness. No wonder. No wonder. No wonder. We're in the condition we're in. The church, families, men. You want to go to another level. You want to fight for your family and see victory. You cannot exclude a passionate life of worship. That might mean that you get over yourself and in the house of the Lord, you lift those holy hands to the Lord. He made them holy. You didn't. He deserves your worship. He died on the cross. What'd you do? You said yes to what he did. He deserves worship. He deserves your worship to stand there with your arms crossed or your arms behind your back or your arms in your ear. I remember one time my wife were at a church and the music kicked up, and this old man, he was probably in his 70s, literally went. 
not even kidding. I was like, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. Oh, man. I love you, men. I love your wives and I love your families enough just to be straight up with you. You're going to go around the mountain until you learn to be a powerful warrior and a passionate worshiper. That's the bottom line. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for how good you are to remind us of your design. I thank you for what you have created man to be and how you have appointed him and even anointed him to be and to do. And I pray that tonight something will have gone deep, that you imparted something, something in us to where we will stand out in these last days as powerful and passionate men of God. And I thank you for the women in this room and for how they are being challenged as women next week as mothers and wives and this complete work you're doing as you strengthen the families of Soma Church. And Lord, your word says that you are faithful to finish what you've started until the day of Christ Jesus. We're in, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.